Well, good morning. I'd like to invite Abdu to come on up here. And also, I'd like to invite our teens to come on up here. So if our teens could come on up and Abdu. So come on up. This is a surprise to them. I'd like to begin our service to, by praying for our teens. They are starting school this week. And uh, so any of our school-age kids that are here, if you guys come line up right in front of me, I know you're hiding, but come on over here right in front of, of me because otherwise the camera won't see you. So let's, let's, and let's let the people at home see who you are because we have a great group of teens right here. And uh, do want you to go on the other side, okay? And um, what I'd like to do is uh, take a moment and pray for these fine young people, these fine future leaders of the church. They are stepping out into the school yards and uh, the school uh, competition fields to glorify God this year in their schools. And we want to pray for God to give them wisdom and to give them protection and to give them the words to say to be witnesses in their school, right? To, To glorify God in all that they do. So I'm going to ask Abdu to start, but I, and any parents that want to come up and or, or teachers that want to come on and lay their hands on the students as we pray, I invite you to come on up as we pray. And I'm going to have Abdu pray first, and then I'll I'll close us off. Um, you know, Abdu, why don't you grab this mic so people at home can hear? Looks like it is. Still on? Check one, two. Yeah. So we're just going to kind of commission them for the school year. So, Abdu, you can go ahead and start. Pray. Father God, we just come to you now, Lord. And, Father, we want to thank you, Lord, for what you're doing in these these young guys' lives, Lord. Just, uh, Father, we pray over them, Lord. We pray as they, they go out to their schools, Lord, that they could be light in the dark hallways that they're walking through. Lord, we pray that they shine light into people that are just living in darkness there, Lord, and just being able to just be a testimony and just be just there for them and just be able to, to witness, to be able to just share the gospel and to, to share who you are with them, Lord. Father, we pray over them. We pray that you keep them safe. We pray that you just work in their lives, just help them to continue to grow in you, Lord, and we pray this all in your name. Lord, I thank you for each and every student that's up here. I thank you for their faithfulness to you. Through a very challenging 16 months, they have stayed together on Zoom and together this summer. Um, Even through the, the challenges of bad weather, they've held together, they've invited their friends, and they've stood for you. And Lord, I praise you for the character, the wisdom, and the stature you've given to these young people Father, continue to protect them, continue to hold on to them, continue to give them wisdom, continue to let them be a light in a dark world, Lord. Help them to glorify you in everything that they do. Lift them up. Let your Holy Spirit fill them and and, um, let your words come to their mouths and to their minds when they need them most. Father, we don't know the challenges that they will face in their lives, but Lord, I know that you will be with them, Lord God, and that you will strengthen them and that you will walk with them. Bless each and every one of them and help them through all the things that they do in their lives. In Jesus' name, I pray. Amen. Thanks, guys. Let's give them a hand. You guys can go sit down.
Um, if you notice the multicolored um, stuff on the floor here, it's because we had a water balloon fight here, and, and I had the really bad idea of um, challenging the whole youth group with only three worth youth leaders to a water balloon fight. I was soaked. And so sometimes I don't have the best ideas. Actually, God always has the best idea. We had a youth camp out, and it got canceled because of the bad weather. We only had 11 kids signed up for that, and then we ended up with 20 kids because we did a pizza party. So God had a better plan. He always has a better plan than us. I'm going to start out our service by reading from his word because his word is always good. And he said to them all, If anyone would come after me, let him deny himself and take up his cross daily and follow me. I'm going to come over here because I think the camera will see me better um, for those users at home um, or disciples at home. Uh, For whoever would save his life will lose it and whoever loses his life for my sake will save it. For what does it profit a man if he gains the whole world and loses or forfeits himself? For whoever is ashamed of me and my words... Of him the Son of Man will be ashamed when he comes in his glory and the glory of the Father and of the holy angels. But I tell you truly, there are some standing here who will not taste death until they see the kingdom of God. Luke 9, 23 through 27. This is the word of the Lord. Well, good morning again. And I'd like to... You know, tell you my name is Ken. For those of you that don't know me, maybe some online, and um, I'm the pastor here at at Crosswinds Church, and I've been leading us through a journey through the book of Luke, and we are discovering how Jesus is teaching his disciples how to follow God and 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 how to follow Him and how to fish. You know, and in last week's text, Jesus revealed his identity through Peter that he is the God who has come, entered our world in the flesh to suffer and to die for our sins and then to be raised again on the third day. You know, today's message is about what a disciple's response is to the revelation of who Jesus is. We have a question to ask ourselves. Do you follow good or best? The knowledge of who Jesus is demands a commitment from us. It demands that we follow and that we fish. You know, at Crosswinds, we have a very simple mission statement, helping every family discover God, his love, and his ways. And that's just a simple way of stating um, what we are committed to as a church. What we're committed to is based on two scriptures that are summed up in that statement. The great commandment of Jesus, which is, Hear, O Israel, the Lord our God is one, which is meaning our number one commitment is to God. And you shall love the Lord your God with all your heart, soul, mind, and strength. And the second is this, you shall love your neighbor as yourself. That is following God, following Jesus. And then his great commission to his disciples, what we are to do is all authority on heaven and earth has been given to me. Therefore, go and make disciples of all nations, baptizing them in the name of the Father and of the Son and of the Holy Spirit, teaching them to observe all that I have commanded you. And I am with you always 
to the end of the age. That's Matthew 28, 19 through 20. Friends, that is fishing. See, if we have proper Christology, a proper understanding of who Jesus is, the Lord of the universe, the I am, it should give us uh, an understanding of what it means to be a disciple. When someone believes who Jesus is, that means inevitably they are confessing what they must become, a fisher of men. But there are so many who never or rarely truly take on his mission. And the reason for that is they simply lack commitment to both following and to fishing. Oh, they may say, I love Jesus. They got the sticker on their bumper. You know, you can... You know, how can you say you love somebody and not follow them in doing what is most important to them? Jesus came as the ultimate fisherman to catch men in his net of love. The problem that Jesus is exposing in our text today is one of commitment to him. To be his disciple requires a commitment to both following and to fishing. Now, the truth is, we all struggle with this word commitment. It's not that we're commit, not committed to things. We're all committed to things. Most of us are very committed to things. Some of us feel we are overcommitted to things. We may feel overcommitted to the things in our family. Some of us feel we're overcommitted at work. Some of us feel we are overcommitted here at church. Some of us parents feel we are overcommitted in our children's activities. Um, some of us who are older, like myself, feel like we're overcommitted taking care of older parents. Some are overcommitted by their friends' expectations of them. You know, if we volunteer or own our own businesses, we can feel overcommitted by those things. The reality is we are all committed to many things. Actually, many are stressed out and anxious because we are all so committed to things. Maybe some of us need to be committed because we're so committed, right? And that's what Jesus is talking about today. So you can't really hold on to every commitment of life and be a disciple of Jesus. Being a disciple of Jesus means prioritizing your commitments. Discipleship is a disciplined focus of what truly matters. This focus helps you find more peace and joy and purpose in your life. You know, what did Jesus say to Peter? Do not fear. Come follow me. And I will make you a fisher of men. You know, Peter had just gotten the biggest catch of fish he had ever seen in his life. Something really good. But becoming a disciple 
changed what he was committed to in life. It requires letting go of being overly committed to even good things for something better. So today, open your Bibles and let's look closely at what God's word is saying in Luke 9, 23 through 27. He said to us all, or he said to all, if anyone would come after me, let him deny himself and take up his cross daily and follow me. I want you to notice Jesus said this to all. He was not just saying this to the apostles. God's design was not that there were just a few committed professionals to him in ministry. Yes, the revelation that Jesus was the Messiah came to just the apostles. And Jesus did ask them to keep that secret so the mass of the uncommitted would not make a commitment of a political agenda to him. But Jesus' agenda of love was to suffer and die and be committed to all of them to remove their sin. And so in Mark's gospel, he Jesus tells or Jesus calls in the crowd, it says, with the apostle. So this word all means for the crowd. It means for everybody. So this is an invitation to be a disciple to the masses. And Jesus is letting them know the cost or the commitment to be his disciples. He says, if anyone would come after me. And so that implies that you would want to follow Jesus. After all, he is the one that had just made bread and sushi for a crowd of 5,000 plus. He had just demonstrated that he's more than capable of providing for every need that they may have. But if a crowd, if anyone in the crowd is going to follow, the true mark of a follower was to deny oneself. It was clear It was not always going to be about meeting their needs. Yes, disciples got fed. But they also needed to learn to feed others fish. Somehow, this message is not heard by many in our modern churches. We tend to think of ourselves as consumers in the modern church. This is often fueled by our consumer culture in America. But it's also a result of how we've done church for the last hundred years in the United States. We've, we've lost a biblical model and traded it for a consumer model. And here at Crosswinds, we are bringing the F word back to church. Following and fishing. The F words. Some places that's a swear word, following and fishing, but not here. We're going to say following and fishing a lot. You know, often when I meet people that attend and serve at other churches, sometimes they serve on praise teams and, and, and they serve as deacons. And I ask them how their churches teach them to share the gospel. And they look at me dumbfounded. Their church has not even taught them to do the most basic thing of our faith. They have no idea how to fish. So I I teach them how to share the the three circles and and, and do a gospel rep. And friends, all of you should do the same. It's good practice for you. 
You are making a disciple then who can then go out and replicate, which is what Jesus was doing. But there is another problem, one the crowd 2,000 years ago faced that we also face today. A disciple is going to have to give up something to follow Jesus. Jesus tells them that requires them to take up his or her cross. Now, in the 21st century, we really don't understand this. For many of us, the cross is just pretty gold jewelry or an expression or a cool design on our tattoo. But people of the first century knew exactly what Jesus was talking about. The cross meant loss. It meant hardship. It meant suffering. It was to give up your life. See, the reality of crucifixion meant death. That was widely known in the first century. In, in, in 71 BC, the, the Roman general Crocus defeated the uh, slave rebel Spartacus and he crucified him, but he also crucified 6,000 of his followers on the Appian Way between Rome and Capua. Can you imagine a hundred miles or more than a hundred miles of men hanging, dying slowly on crosses? That, that was the scene. A century later, Nero crucified and burned Christians who were falsely accused of setting fire to Rome. See, early followers of Jesus knew there were no survivors of Roman crucifixion. To them, following Jesus was dying to your old life. The Apostle Paul said, I have been crucified with Christ. It is no longer I who live, but Christ who lives in me. And the life I now live in the flesh, I live by faith in the Son of God who loves me and gave his life for me. It's only modern Christians that think they can be just a little bit committed to Jesus on Sunday morning and be okay. That they can be a disciple, just being a little committed. Once a week. See, ancient people knew what Jesus was saying when he said, take up your cross and follow me. It meant leaving certain commitments of your old life behind. See, you can't be committed to drugs and Jesus. You you can't be committed to living a sexually immoral life and Jesus. You can't be committed to killing people And Jesus, you can't be committed to living your life as a thief and Jesus. Now, all of you probably would agree with what I just said. Most of it, right? But Jesus uses a word here. He uses a word deny. So he's not just talking about our commitment to what most people consider are bad things. Jesus is also talking about our commitment to what most consider good things. Family is a good thing. But if your family obligations keep you from spending time with Jesus, serving Jesus, giving financially to the work of Jesus, talking to others outside your family about Jesus, then your family has become an idol. And if a even a good thing, has become your God thing, the thing you replace Jesus with, 
the thing we play the, the thing we place above obeying Jesus, then it's become evil and an idol. See, most in the church are not tripped up by drugs or an illicit affair. Typically, what keeps us from following and fishing are good things. Things we have a higher commitment to than Jesus. It's good to have a commitment to your family and work and school and hobbies and recreation and even the church. But if any of those become our excuse for not personally following and fishing, we've actually departed from God. And we're practicing idolatry. Being a disciple requires the discipline of denying ourselves good things to know the better thing, God. So that others may know Jesus as well. Picking up our cross requires loss for the sake of Christ. Some consider picking up their cross, putting up with their mother-in-law or their boss or their children. But, but picking up your cross is, is not your annoyances in life. That's not it. It's giving up your priorities for the sake of Jesus's priorities. Notice Jesus says, says your cross. Our cross is not the same as his cross. And it's because of the word daily Luke puts in the text. Jesus died once for all for our sins. We instead are to be living sacrifices, choosing daily what is getting in the way of our commitment to following and fishing and choosing to deny that. Through sacrifices of following and fishing, God is working in our lives to form our character to be like Christ. And often, friends, this is uncomfortable. And that's okay. God is more concerned with our character than our comfort. Jesus says, your cross. So I believe the application of this verse may be different, just a little bit different for each of us. Because we're all tempted in slightly different ways. An early application I saw for myself in this verse is I needed to deny Myself, the right to unleash my anger without thought on whoever I wanted to because it made me feel good. An application for us all could be denying ourselves the freedom of being ruled by our emotion. See, everybody has fear. Everybody has anger. Everybody has lust and and jealousy and regret. But we can learn to hold our thoughts and our feelings captive to Christ. See, I had to learn to deny my right to hate people, and now I love people regardless of how I feel about them. Jesus did not call us to like people. He called us to love people. And friends, love is is a choice which often denies us or often involves us denying our momentary feelings about people. Another application might be not letting tasks, our tasks in life, rule us. Sometimes we need to deny ourselves our compulsive desire 
to get things done. It's good to get things done. But not if we ignore our need to be with God. Or we ignore his call to invest in loving others and ourselves in healthy ways. If we are ruled by tasks and we are not following or fishing, we are not being his disciple. See, some of us can be Martha, very task-oriented. But Jesus said to Mary, she has chosen the better portion, something that would last by sitting at his feet. We need to deny ourselves the urge to get so much done so that we have the time to sit at his feet and be fed. And we need to give time in our lives to feed others. Others of us may need to deny our appetites, our need for more pleasure, our need to be more liked, our need to have more, our need to achieve more success, our need to feel satisfied more in ourselves, our need to be satisfied more in ourselves instead of our our need to find our satisfaction in God. When we deny our wants, friends, you know, that actually takes away our fears because fear is all about our want. Psalm 23 says, the Lord is my shepherd, I shall not want. And it's a psalm about eliminating fear. It's not wrong to have wants and desires, but if our wants and our desires are greater than our desires for God, we will be anxious most of the time. Ultimately, it's a matter of priority. That's why Jesus told his disciples to seek first the kingdom of God and his righteousness, and then all other things will be added. Another thing we may need to deny ourselves is safety and security. Wait a minute, Ken. That's un-American. We like our guns and we like our houses like drawbridges and hold everything together. We need our security. Now, friends, security is not a bad thing. But friends, if that's our ultimate thing, that's a thing that can keep us from following Jesus. You know, Jesus says, come follow me. And then he leads his disciples right into a man who's infected with leprosy. And then he leads them into a deadly storm. And then he leads them into religious authorities who are dangerous. And then he leads them into a man with many demons. And then he leads them into trouble with the Roman government. See, every situation that Jesus leads us into is not safe. But he promises to be with us. He is our safe place. Not every situation in life. And so if you have to make every situation in your life safe for you and your children, you will avoid him. Because he's often found in the storm. He's often found with the sick. He's often found with the demon possessed. And he's often found with the stressy and the messy. And friends, that's fishing. 
That's where he said, I will be with you always. If safety and security is your idol, odds are you're not following very closely yet. You obey fear more than him. Jesus said, do not follow fear. Follow me. Let me tell you a story from my own life. When my daughter was a teen, a a great youth leader, a friend of mine, um, came and helped our church. He was from Arkansas and brought a bunch of kids, and they were great kids. They were all serious about God, and they were all going on a trip to Panama, and I wanted my daughter to be around that kind of fellowship and and leadership, so I paid her expenses, and I drove her all the way down to Arkansas to be trained and hang out with those kids and, and go on their mission. But then I realized that my little girl of 17 or 18 was going on a trip to Panama without me, and I freaked out. What if something happened to her? And as a pastor, I thought my most important thing in life, my highest priority was telling people about Jesus. And I discovered my highest priority, my idol, was my daughter. And me and God, we had to have a little talk. And I had to surrender my daughter's life to Jesus, knowing that she was now in the safest place possible, doing his will. You know, when the kids were in, in, I didn't write this, when they were in there, they were praying in the high school because they were doing a drama to reach the kids for Jesus. And the kids from Arkansas that lived in the Bible Belt were saying, wow, this is a really dark place. We need to pray. And my daughter's thinking, wow, this feels a lot lighter than my high school. Think about that, parents where your kids are going to high school. Sometimes a mission feels a lot safer than where they're going every day. They're with Jesus. Now Megan travels all over the world. See, we both recovered from our idol of fear and put our trust in Jesus. And she often serves God in her way. It's different than mine. And I pray and I sleep well. See, you can't play it safe and follow Jesus. It requires going to places that make you uncomfortable sometimes. It requires eating foods you don't normally eat. It it requires talking to people you don't normally talk to. It, It requires giving away money you don't think you can afford. It requires releasing people you love to do greater things than you can imagine for Jesus. And even when you don't think you can live without them, you have to do it. And sometimes it requires saying something that might offend somebody you love because you care more about their eternity than them getting upset. Denying yourself is also giving away your time. See, we all only have 24 hours a day. That's the reality. See, I used to be a person that had no time for anybody because I had so many important things to do. I got paid a lot of money for my time. And, and, and now I often find myself denying what I want to do because I'm serving somebody else's need all the time. Hear this. The Son of God loved us and gave his life for us. See, picking up the cross is denying our priorities 
for the sake of others. I love to sail. I love to golf. I love to just relax and sleep in. Those are three things I don't get to do very often at all. I could count them on one hand. Because of Jesus, if a friend is going through a tough time, I'm there to listen. I'm there to offer words of encouragement. I make time to pray for them. Did you know I'm actually an introvert? I don't really need a lot of people contact. My friends in high school voted me most likely to be a hermit. But I deny who I am to follow Jesus. And I'm around people and talking to people all the time because he gave his life for me. So I give my life for you. And Jesus says we do this daily. Many of us think we are waiting for some big heroic moment to show others our sacrificial love. You know, my wife always tells me love is in the little things you do every day. I did pick up the towel today, honey. But anyways, (laughs) daily commitments show what we really love, right? Daily commitments show what we really love. Some think when I have the money, then I will give it church. Well, that's doubtful. It's not about how much you give that matters. It's the priority of your heart. Remember the old woman Jesus saw throwing only two copper coins? He commended her because she gave all that she had. She, she did not wait till she had more. See, at Crossroads, we teach that our giving should be regular. It should be proportional to what you have. And it should be sacrificial. That's what the Bible teaches. See, God is concerned with teaching us character of giving. To be like Christ. So we just give regular, proportional, and sacrificial. You know, others think when I have time, I will help out others. And I will help out at church. Well, if you're not committed to that now, you won't be later. Even when you have time. The problem is not the amount of time you have. We all have the same amount of time. It's what you are committing your time to now that you won't let go of that's the problem. Some say, when things slow down at work, I will make time to read my Bible and pray. Maybe. But what I've seen, it's much more likely that you will take your extra money and buy yourself something that will take up even more of your time. See, Jesus said following him is about denying or subtracting something from your life, not adding more to it so that you will have time to follow him. That's what he said. For whoever would save his life will lose it. But whoever loses his life for my sake will save it. See, by selfishly trying to preserve things for ourselves, we potentially face a total loss. Because we may not actually be a disciple. And we are not really living the abundant life he promised in him. See, our faith is then really in temporal things if we won't let go of other stuff and follow him and fish. We trust more in things that can't save us instead of the one who can save us, Jesus. Because we're not really following him. See, our money can't save us, but if we're following it, we're going the wrong way. 
We can't store up our time. We, we can't prevent death or disease by how secure we think we are. And so if our pursuit is following that way, we are fully, foolishly securing ourselves in a bad investment where we'll lose it all. But, and friends, this is a really big but, and I like big buts of the Bible, for they do not lie. Whoever, whoever, and that's a really inclusive promise from Jesus that I will not deny, those who lose their life, give their time, their money, or whatever is their treasure to follow him. For his sake, for what is important to him, praising his father and for fishing for the ones that he came to die for. They are the ones who really have faith in him, who really love him and know the value of the salvation they have found in him. Those are the ones that have salvation. Verse 25 says, for what does it profit a man? If he gains the whole world and loses or forfeits himself. Friends, do you notice the word profit in there? Profit is a good thing, right? Gain is a good thing. So what Jesus is talking about here is often the good priorities of lives. The things that keep us from following the best priority. Jesus. Jesus is saying, you could be rich financially. You could have a great family life. You could be the best dad. You could be the best husband. You could be the most loved, most famous person on the planet. You could be extremely intelligent and, and, and contribute great things to the world. And maybe doing all of that makes you feel safe and secure as a person in this life. And it all feels like gain. But now, at the end of life, try and trade all that you've gained in your wonderful life for heaven at death. And what you're going to find is a total loss. In reality, every profit you made for yourself apart from Christ is a suicidal act on your soul. All your good effort, all your hard work was for something that was ultimately worthless. It's for something that has no currency to save you from eternal torment. Now, don't get angry with God. It was not God who condemned you. You just chose to daily treasure the good things of life instead of the best thing, and you condemned yourself. You trusted more in the creation rather than the creator and what was important to him. You effectively lived as an atheist instead of a follower and a fisher. You are a naturalist, even if you claim to believe in God, you really trust your life to created things. 
but you say, I do believe in Jesus. But I just think faith is a private matter between me and God. And it's good when people get along. And I, I just don't want to offend anybody by, by trying to fish. I think it's ultimately more offensive not to tell them about Christ's love for them and let them go to hell. Jesus said, For whoever is ashamed of me, in my words, of him the Son of Man, be ashamed when he comes in glory, and the glory of the Father and of his holy angels. You know, Peter was ashamed of Jesus' gospel. He just wanted to believe Jesus was God. And Jesus said, get behind me, Satan. You are a hindrance for me. For you are not setting your mind on the things of God, but on the things of man. You know, that whoever is very inclusive as well. God has no special, you don't have to fish license. Did you realize that? You know, if you're ashamed to share his gospel, you're on the wrong team. That's what Jesus said there. The son of God has no shame, no matter what you've done for those he has saved. He has taken away their sin and their shame on the cross. If you're on his team, he loves you. You're a fisherman, no matter how good or bad you are at it. But he will be ashamed of those who don't respect the gospel of his son who came to die for the world he loved. Doing the greatest act of love ever in the universe. The thing that the angels, the holy angels long to look at. So ask yourself, what are you committed to that is keeping you from fishing? Peace in the family? Isn't that being ashamed? Fear of keeping your friends? Isn't that being ashamed? Fear of losing your job or your customers? Isn't that being ashamed? You know, the people Jesus was speaking to faced death. Being burned at a stake by religious leaders and governments. Friends, the fear of man is a trap and a snare, the Bible says. It's a trap wanting to please people more than God. Often, We must deny the love of men and women or the fear of them to really embrace the love of God. Friends, that's part of picking up the cross and following him. Verse 27 says, But I tell you truly, there are some standing here who will not taste death until they see the kingdom of God. Finally, Jesus gives us another commitment of good news. 
Friends, this is our true security. If you're going to make a commitment to give up your life for him, it's got to be worth it, right? Doesn't it? A lot of people will tell you, you need to be more committed. Your parents, your teachers, your pastors, your doctors, your politicians. But Jesus here stakes his identity. He says, I tell you truly, God does not lie. That's why our Christology, our belief in who he is, is so important. He says, some will not taste death until they see the kingdom of God. Does that mean he says some people are not going to, that are listening to him, are not going to die and just be translated to heaven? No. What he is saying is those who are committed to following him will see the reality of the gospel, the promise of the gospel with their own eyes. They will see this man, Jesus, actually carry a Roman cross on his back to Golgotha, the cross beam. And they'll see him nailed to it. They will see that cross hoisted up in the air between two criminals, though he is an innocent man. And they will see Jesus deny his right to cry out in his anger and destroy all those who tortured him. Instead, he will pray and ask for mercy, saying, Father, forgive them, for they do not know what they are doing. Those who follow him will see a man who truly had the power and the fingertips to have it all, give it all away and love and give up his life. Trade every bit of his sinless goodness for us to redeem our sinful souls. Satan offered him all the good of this world, everything it had to offer. And Jesus gave it all for the best to obey his father and to show his father's love to the world. Then three days later, Jesus walked out of the tomb because the Holy Son of God could not be corrupted by the grave. And he proved his path was right and true. That surrendering your life is truly the path of everlasting life. And at his right hand are true pleasures forevermore. And that he freely gives us everlasting life. You know, after Jesus shared the cost of being his disciple, the crowd of over 5,000 people mostly walked away. Only a hundred or so of his disciples picked up their cross and continued the journey with him. The crowd proved that their commitment was really only to their bellies full of free bread and sushi and not him. So Jesus looks at Peter and he says, do you want to go away as well? But finally, Jesus, or Peter had chosen the right team. And he says, Lord, to whom shall we go? You have the words of eternal life and we have believed and have come to know you are the Holy One of God. I'm sure the crowd all went back to commitments of good things, family, businesses, synagogue, 
and friends. But Peter said, yes, yes, to denying himself and taking up his cross and daily following Jesus, because in that is eternal life. Today, you have a choice. What will you say? Will you walk away and fill yourself with temporal things and gain nothing? Or will you turn and follow Jesus and gain everything, eternal life? May the Holy Spirit guide you to say yes to Jesus. Let us pray. Father God, we thank you and we praise you for your goodness and your mercy. Not everything you call us to is easy, but it's worth it. Help us to deny ourselves good for the best. Give us the strength to follow you. Even through the valley of the shadow of death. Let us, know, let us know that you will be with us. That you are with us in the fire. That you walk us through the water. That you are our rock. That you are our redeemer. That you are our hope. Father, if there's anybody here that is not yet trusted in you, let them turn today from their sin. Let them turn from their priorities that take you from take them from you and turn and find life, abundant life in you and let them follow and fish with you. We praise you, Jesus, for your amazing love. In Christ's name I pray. Today, if you'd like to come and say you're not ashamed that you're following Jesus and commit your life to him, I'll be over here. I'd love to pray with you in that commitment.